Kicking and Screaming podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Vanessa Guerrero. I'm your other co-host, Elijah Taylor. She narrows her eyes at me now when I, whenever I say my name because she's ready for me to say something stupid instead. I'm just always wondering if you're doing bits. No, see, now the ultimate bit is to just introduce myself like a normal person. <laughs> just keeps you keeps you guessing. Yeah, it keeps you on my toes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Someday it'll, it'll drive you to the point of madness because you'll be certain that there's a bit but you just don't know what it is. No, because we do this in our everyday lives now, so I'm just, like, the only constant is change. That's fair. That's fair. That's a good outlook. Yeah, like, sometimes I come home and you're making dinner, and then sometimes I come home and the Halloween theme is playing. Uh, and, and there's just a weapon for me, and then I have to figure it out. Um, <laughs> good luck, sucker. Yeah. Uh, our, our, our marriage often involves me, like, finding a device to defend myself with and being, like, released into something. Yeah, there's a lot of ambushes. There's a lot of, like, deadliest game type scenarios. Uh, a lot of, like, being hunted for sport. Um, I think it keeps the romance alive. You I know? think so, too. Keeps that spark ignited so if this is your first time hearing this podcast it's a uh, podcast about hunting your spouse for sport it's about that but also it's about taking horror movies and martial arts movies and pairing them together because we think they are both uh genres that do not get enough credit for how fantastic they are and frequently uh i think become better when they're paired together Agreed. And I think that uh, for the most part, if you're into one of these genres but haven't really uh, tested the waters with the other, uh, there's a lot of wonderful stuff uh, that you may be missing and that uh, you may discover uh, that you love. Also, when you were describing the premise and said they're both genres uh, that don't get enough credit, there was just enough of a pause between genres and the next word that I legitimately thought you were going to say because they're both genres. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I agree. Well, yeah, being genre automatically gets written off a lot. One time I had a guy hit me up to like help him with a horror thing. And like he wanted my knowledge on horror. And then in the same breath as I was helping him said, well, this is all new to me because it's all so stupid. No, uh, that's the worst thing. It's like when film critics who don't like horror movies are assigned to review horror movies for major publications. Yeah, and I'll, uh, it, my my disposition made a full 180, and I like tried very hard to like have a measured response, but then I was like, no, you asked me for help, pal. Yeah. Like I don't ask other people for like, especially in like a journalism sense, like input on things, uh, and then dismiss what they put their passion into in the same sentence. No, I feel like anytime you're deferring to someone else because they know more than you about a thing, you should assume that they don't think that that thing is stupid. Yeah. Because <laughs> they've taken the time to learn about it. Uh, what a frustrating dude. Do you want to name him? Do you want to put him on blast? No, but you okay. know... Uh, <laughs> I'm who, all about putting people on blast. <laughs> you know who isn't frustrating and we should put on blast for being exceptionally cool? Who? We finally met one of our guests that we had not met in person in person. Oh, that's true. We finally met Rosie Knight. That uh, was amazing. Yeah, we met Rosie Knight, who y'all might remember from the Night Comes for Us Girls with all the, Girl with All the Gifts episode. One of my favorite pairings we've, we've ever done. Yeah, it's One of my favorite discussions we ever feature. had. Yeah, <laughs> had a real good time on that episode. Uh, and yeah, we went to see a double feature of Once Upon a Time in China 1 and 2 on 35mm. Which was incredible. It was fantastic. I loved every second of it. I loved uh, every trailer 
that was related to it beforehand. Um, Same. Which uh, don't <laughs> don't love the seats because if my butt uh, grazes the uh, cup holders on the way down, uh, chances are most of your audience is because uh, because because yeah, yeah. I, I have booty, but like. I, there, I am the I am like the standard size for the average American. That's true. There were there were much more booties in that theater. Yeah, because that's just like standard sizing. Yeah, and I was just like wiggling around the entire time because it's like fine when I'm like sitting up rigid, but whoever just sits up rigid the whole movie. I know nobody has that kind of posture. No that kind of core strength, especially not me. I'm built like a fucking Liefeld character. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you don't have hands or feet. No, although. <laughs> Fun thing for a later uh, episode that we're taping this Sunday, one of the trailers that we saw there, by coincidence, because, you know, they were showing, like, a bunch of Jet yeah, Li trailers, yeah. uh, I remarked, looked interesting, and then it's like the universe heard it, and our guest picked it for their pick this Sunday. Yeah. We can tell them what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have, a, we have a friend and comedian, John Michael Bond, coming on this Sunday, and he picked Black Mask, and I literally just saw the trailer for it this weekend and thought, damn, I should watch Black Mask soon. Yeah, yeah, you should. And now you have to. And now I have Mandatory to. Mandatory Black Mask, as, uh, as it should be. Very rightfully so. Now, um, this week's pit pairing happened uh, not be... It was a little bit of a tricky oh, one. That's so true. we should this, explain... Yeah, this one uh, disrupts the standard format. If, uh, if it is your first time listening, the way it usually goes is that either Vanessa or I, uh, we alternate picking a film in either genre. Uh, usually I pick martial arts films. Usually she picks horror films, but not always. Uh, and then the other host has to find a film in the other genre to pair with it uh, that is somehow thematically uh, or literally relevant uh, and then we plead the case as to why they pair well together. Uh, when a guest comes on, the guest picks a film. Uh, this is the first episode in which uh, it is just the two of us, and yet... We're using the guest pick. Yeah. Um, so shout out to very funny uh, comedian and gal I've danced with, Allison Stevenson. Um, unfortunately, at the last minute, she couldn't make it. So we're just going with this pairing because we like it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I actually would have picked a film by this director pretty re- pretty soon anyway. So nice. uh, uh, my pick that I am representing for Allison Stevenson this week is... Urban Legend. Nice. I appreciate you uh, claiming it, by the way, like kind of planting that flag and being like, it's my pick now. I like, I like your style. Look at me. Look at me. I make the pick now. I am the guest now. I am the guest now. I am the guest. You be nice to me. That's true. This week, you're a special guest, Vanessa Guerrero. I'm the special guest. All right. I'll Uh, I'll start treating you like a guest. Wow. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. There's so much cat hair here. (laughs) Yeah. Usually, we don't have the guests uh, come, come over to my house like this. Uh, there's a lot of cat hair. I'm sorry. All right. Before I get to my pink, I I just want to say I stained your tub and I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. Usually the guests don't take a bath, uh, at my house, but, uh, you know, I, I understand you needed to, uh, take a bath, uh, before recording and I respect your process. I was very stinky. (laughs) This is my guest voice, by the way. That's how I talk to guests. Really? Yeah. Have you not noticed? I've never heard it once in my life. It sounds like when you talk to cops. No, every time we get, have a guest, I'm like, oh, good evening there, officer. (laughs) 
what uh what seems to be the issue there <laughs> just get real midwestern for some reason <laughs> um i'd been meaning to pick a jamie blanks movie anyway actually okay um i was going to pick valentine i mean i was definitely going to pick urban legend at some point um but i was meaning to pick valentine before i picked urban legends nice uh do you do you want to talk about why that is or should we save it for a valentine episode i think because valentine is like the concentrated version of why i love 2000s slasher movies okay um why there was never a gap for me uh when it came to like well you have your 80s slashers and your 90s slashers and then they're making a renaissance i don't say that i think they've always just like had their moment always. Um, and I really legitimately enjoyed a lot of the 2000s entries. And I'm not saying that's like a car- common argument, especially not in like horror communities, because I think they are like getting the attention and praise that they deserve. I think amongst, um, forgive me because I hate this word because I hate referring to anybody as like casuals or normies, but like normies, <laughs> like people that don't watch a shit ton of horror movies. Right, I think right. they do the same thing where it's, it's like they're thinking of Britney Spears's, uh, um, Oh my God. It's literally my favorite album. It has break the ice on it. I talk about it literally all the time. It's the album where she has a fedora on the cover. The first album after she had her like mental health episode that everybody was like, Oh, it's, it's garbage. But like in hindsight, they like give it a second shot, but they always like write it up to like, not as good. I think, 2000 slashers are met with that same thing where it's like oh it's 2000s the style is embarrassing and it's like uh it it feels a little bit more like cringe to the memories of someone that isn't like actively watching these all the time i could see that yeah well i think also like there there is a lens yeah look up that britney spears album while i while i you know i had a powerpoint presentation on it i know i felt bad because often i can kind of jump in or we can like kind of tag in for each other and usually one of us will know blackout fuck my life there man. you go blackout. it was the 2000 album that event 2007 album that was eventually inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame wow. library um uh yeah everybody always referred to blackout as just like that one she had because it was like kind of weird but like that's where we got it's britney bitch um nice and uh everyone I think should listen to blackout also it's yeah. a good pairing with this double feature, honestly. I uh, legitimately love the mid-2000s for a lot of things. Yeah? Cartoons, reality television, good God. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> that was when VH1 started getting weird, weird. Yeah. Uh, they were just kind of throwing things at a wall to see what stuck. Yeah. Um, I, they, they were a real great time for me, and I know part of it is, like, nostalgia lenses. Um, but I think the other part of it comes from... Things are, like, certainly, like, sh- shinier and, and, and new when it came to, like, doing their versions of genre classics. Um, wow, if this might be a reach. It had the kind of, like, hilarious nihilism that I think, like, The Simpsons at their best had when it came to, like, what they were making commentary on in the 2000s for mm. horror movies, but for, like, early Simpsons. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I I'm... could be like a little delirious because I've been sick for a few days. You have been, but, but I think The Simpsons was was its best when it was like nihilistic in its presentation of things. Okay, all right, and I think that's why I liked about two thousands horror was like because it was a lot of like those kinds of writers. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I don't, I don't know if I fully 
uh, take that journey, but I am I am confident that uh, given enough time, you could like put together a presentation that would convince me. Um, I think when I when I think of like the nihilism of like early two thousands horror movies, uh, I I think I I tend to remember it being a little more uh, like a little more try hard in in a way that uh doesn't always land for me and oh, that, is, that is not true so. of, uh, of this film but i i think when i think of like nihilistic 2000s horror movies it's a lot of uh like the song let the bodies hit the floor playing <laughs> uh, if that if that means anything it's a lot of new metal nihilism. i don't know this this had quite a few new metal needle drops whenever it was you the know, goth girl fucking it actually did it had a lot of uh new metal needle drops but in a way and that, the like, cherry pop and daddies in, in a way that was like completely inoffensive to me like i found each one really charming and not like eye roll each one i was like hell yeah i remember that so i guess like uh, I, I think, oh, this this is uh, what I was going to say. This was uh, my uh, other kind of uh, point to your point. Uh, I, I think that a lot of 2000s horror uh, was kind of uh, dismissed or like eye rolled by, uh, you know, a lot of like horror geeks at the time because a lot of horror geeks at the time were like, oh, yeah, peak horror, you know, was like in the 80s. That was when horror was doing, you know, all of like, the really important pioneering like trailblazing shit and that's when like all of these like iconic franchises were launched that's where the real horror was but they're also you know looking back at it through this lens of like both nostalgia and you know anything that's like kind of camp or goofy or like poorly written is given a pass because like oh it's 80s that's part of the charm so when you have camp in horror in like a film that's currently being made you're like that's just bad writing and I think people are more forgiving of things from previous decades a lot of the time than yeah. stuff that's, like, being manufactured right now. And, like, now that we're, you know, 20 years on, films from, like, the early 2000s get the, like, retro lens where you're looking at it and, like, the fashion is, like, looked at fondly and, like, the campiness and, like, the you know. The tiny sweaters. Yeah. And, like, the tropey characters and kind of corny dialogue is not, like, oh, this is such hack shit. You look at it and you're, like, this is fun, man. This is horror. This is, like, old school, like, slasher flick. This feels like an 80s campy-ass slasher flick. And you start to see that, like. It's these, time. Yeah. It's time. And these movies that, like, people maybe dismissed initially because they're, like, you know, oh, this is this is fucking whack. This, you know, try hard, whatever. Uh, you, you now realize is like, no, this is like made with a lot of love and affection yeah. for the films that you revere, like the the films that are exalted into the canons of like classic slasher films, like right down to its casting. Yeah, like I, because I saw Urban Legend once uh, when I was like, you know, pretty young uh, in the early two thousands. I like watched it once and was like, yeah, it's fine never felt a need to go back to it never like considered like oh yeah that's a movie that i like and never rewatched it rewatching it now i'm like it fucking rules it's fantastic it's so fun and i think i solved it yeah i think i figured out why in its time it wasn't praised by like uh a, a big swath of like horror fans that were more like oh i'm about the 80s and 90s and why now it's beloved by horror fans but like maybe not looked at the same lens by like people that like uh aren't you know rewatching these things 
Um, it's exactly what you said. Where when you added time, like the camp, the costuming becomes camp, and some of the writing like leans into those things that we love. So now it's like you look back at it, and horror fans are like, "Yes, absolutely, it looked great." Um, that those parts click. I think the reason it was like maligned at the time in some spaces was because it was when it started becoming mainstream, and that's when everybody who's been with it for so much longer when it was it jumps ship right because it's like they're actors in like dawson's creek and my so-called life and they're like models that you know of and you know it's it's that point in the mid-2000s where it wasn't the thing that like the av dorks and like the 80s and the 90s maybe like enjoyed in like a niche thing it was when the cool kids in your school were going to see it as like the summer popcorn movie. So there was that thing of like, well, that's for everyone now and now I don't want it because I feel, because especially at that time when you've like invested so much time into something that you really love and then it like starts getting the Hollywood glitzy treatment you're like, ah, no. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, it's it's a thing that I now, uh, like, you know, don't do at all to the same extent. And like when I think of, uh, you know, the sort of reaction that I had when I was like a teenager, uh, I find it like a little bit embarrassing, but I think that like, uh, a lot of us, uh, anyone who's ever like been ostracized from any spaces or like ever felt like the weird kid or been like a nerd to some capacity, anyone who's ever like been really into something that is like kind of niche and like not the popular mainstream thing to be into uh and you know especially if you've been so into it that it becomes like a part of your personality you know because like i because you meet your friends and your like community that way yeah and it like becomes this like formative thing to you where like you know, I, I don't necessarily think like, oh, the movies that I like are my personality. But at the same time, like being into horror and being into martial arts are like pretty key pillars of like the things that are me, you know, like what composes me as a human in its entirety. Uh, and yeah, when those things that are like important and formative to you feel like they're like yours, it's like the small secret thing that you've discovered. And like, you know, a lot of other people may be like, y- you don't get along with her they don't understand you but like it's cool because you have the secret thing that they don't and then like those same people discover that and love it and talk about it as though it's like this new cool thing that they've discovered and you're still sort of on the outside of those groups and spaces but now they also have the thing that was yours uh it's really easy to to turn on that to turn on like them and the thing that you loved and be like this is bullshit like the i don't know like i was into it before it was cool thing yeah Uh, and it's like, yeah, I think, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm embarrassed of a lot of, like, those moments that I had. I've had a lot of those moments before, yeah. like, my brain was cooked enough and I, like, exactly. <laughs> went more into adulthood and realized that those feelings happen because you they're complicated and you don't know how to express them. But they... you it's cool for you to, like, feel it for a second and then let it die its proper death rattle. Yep. Uh, and then embrace the fact that more people like the shit you like now yeah. and you could be excited together about it. Exactly. And just be stoked that this thing that you've always known was cool is like now uh, beloved by more people. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, is not always an easy thing to do, but is an important thing to do. And then that's how you avoid being a gatekeeping shithead. Exactly. 
just just let yourself feel the feeling be like oh that stinks like for the stuff that happened before but that happened before yeah i'm done with that (laughs) now mine come come watch stupid movies at my house my uh my big one was uh in like middle school uh i had a uh a cousin who was older and their boyfriend i think had gotten like vhs tapes of like bootleg fan subtitled anime uh that like had not been released in the u.s and uh at the time i i want to say there was maybe like trigon and something else some other series that were just like you know my my first exposures to anime that was not dragon ball z or sailor moon Mm -hmm. you know uh which are both rad shows but it was the first time i saw like a cartoon that felt like yo this is like for grown-ups and it's very cool uh so i got super into anime and then started like consuming all of like the manga and anime that i could find uh-huh. uh was super picked on for being a weird nerd and then when i got to high school uh it was when adult swim started localizing like cowboy bebop and trigon and all that good stuff uh oh and then naruto came mm-hmm. out over here and became a big deal uh kids who had bullied me in middle school started an anime club in high school and when i tried to join they called me a poser and told me to leave (laughs) and i was like but i used to like try to get you guys to watch naruto and you made fun of me see and that's when you have every right to burn down the whole building uh and uh pull a brenda who is in my opinion the star of this movie good segue Uh, (laughs) Tell us about Urban Legend. So we're going to run through it really quickly because I want to talk about Brenda like a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I think I love her more every watching. Um, in general, big fan of the cro- casting across the board. And if you haven't watched this for a while, you'll have a brief moment in which you're stunned because you remember a time in which we all like Jared Leto. That's um, true. Yeah. Feels weird. Cause you're like, wow, he's cool and charming. And then you're like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> he has a cold now? Um, yeah uh the weird guy that sends condoms in the mail to be method i don't know um but this was in a time when we'd see him in like this surf fight club and be like hey it's that guy i like him um so urban legend uh takes place in a world where there is a killer that's killing people in the style of urban legends and we open with my favorite one literally the one that permeates my life constantly which is the killer in the back seat Mm, i've literally never gotten in a car without checking the back seat because (laughs) of that uh one time i had a mannequin in the back seat because i was taking props back and forth and i made a hard left turn no i swerved out of a car's way on the freeway i remember because it was an empty freeway at three in the morning and the mannequin tumbled forward and the arm hit my chest (laughs) and i screamed so loud and swerved across three lanes (laughs) that is how much i constantly think of this which is why i loved that being the first kill also just really fantastic premise in general like yeah if if you need a hook for your slasher like the slasher imitates popular urban legends that's a super fun slasher villain like I don't know. Urban Legend, uh, I know that it did get some direct-to-video sequels, but like, uh, I, I don't know if there's more yeah. than one. There's at least there's, one direct. No, there's more. Okay. Uh, but like, it, it is weird watching it now that like, I, it, it very much feels like if this had come out in the 80s, it would have absolutely been like a Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street type of thing. Yeah. Where we would have had a bunch of them and they would all be like 
important entries in the horror canon. Yeah, it does the thing that Scream does that's so brilliant, which takes advantage of, like, the viewer's knowledge of horror movies. Right. Um, to, like, string them along, but also have them questioning everything. Like, Scream does a lot of that with, like, being very self-referential with, like, you know how this pattern goes. And Urban Legend does that a few times as well with, like, its own... Like, you know what this story is, but it, in really unique ways. Yeah. And I love that first one because it's one that everybody knows. Uh, and you get that great Brad Dourif cameo, which I'm always yeah. on board for. We love Brad Dourif. I, I love him so much. I actually, I've considered buying a locket with his picture in it because of how much <laughs> I love Brad Dourif. I'm serious. I think that you should. Uh, I encourage this. Because he's like two of the most important dudes to me. Chucky and Doc. Oh, nice. I'm glad that Doc Cochran from uh, from Deadwood is, is making it into into that top two. I anyway. literally thought of the season finale of the first season and started right now getting misty thinking of Doc. Oh, that's uh, such a beautiful that is, episode. Such a great scene. That's the moment where I was just like, Brad Dourif is the greatest actor to ever live, period. He uh, is <laughs> fucking phenomenal. Straight up. Full I stop. feel like he's done so many, like, you know, there's the Child's Play series where he is fantastic. Like, he's incredible as Chucky. But I, I think, you know, a lot of people know him for pri- horror, like primarily from that. And then like, yeah, bit parts in other horror movies where he shows up as like cameo because it's like, oh, it's Chucky and he's in this now, uh, which is, you know, kind of what this is where it's like, oh, yeah, like a horror it's icon. Brad yeah. Uh, but fucking watch Deadwood, man. He's one of the greatest actors of any generation <laughs> i'm not kidding uh a performance he gave in deadwood made me cry so hard i needed to walk outside for a little bit yeah to just like calm down so beautiful um so automatically even if i get him for like one minute i'm just like cool this is the greatest minute of my life and you have that <laughs> great first kill where the second you realize as he's like trying to warn her you're like i know this one yeah no and it's true because like yeah the the movie does you know it it lets it play out and lets you arrive at the point organically where you're like oh like that urban legend <laughs> which is which is fun it's a good it's a good opening and like it has a few of those moments where it's also like aware of the references to like Josh- Joshua Jackson in the car with the lead character and like the brief Dawson's Creek needle drop of the I don't want to wait right and he like no. turns the radio off yeah. um it has uh, Robert England as uh, one of their teachers, yep. you know, who teaches them about urban legends. Uh, and also, uh, I love all of the, uh, y- you mentioned it playing with, like, the viewer's expectations and knowledge of horror films. So it does the thing that a lot of uh, earlier slasher flicks did, where it, like, gives a lot of red herrings and misleads to other characters as to, like, who the identity of the killer is but it lays it on so heavy that it's very clearly like, we know that you're like looking for like the shoes that the killer wore or whatever. So instead it just like gives every character in the movie, the jacket that the killer wears and every character in the movie, the shoes that the killer wears. It's everyone. Every character has an ax (laughs) that the killer had and they all have some pretext for owning an ax and this jacket and these shoes. And I like, I kind of love that it does that, that it's just like, no, no, we're not going to give you that. We're not letting you have the easier answer in any of this. We're going to make you live in like constant questioning. Uh, And like, I I truly adore that it does it with some of the kills too, where it's just like, oh yeah, it's obviously gonna be pop rocks and cola, so that when it's pop rocks and drain cleaner, you're like, oh yeah, which is really good. Uh, God, yeah, what are the kills? The kills in this are fantastic. There's pop rocks and Drano. There's the one uh, 
that uh it, it does the like boyfriend uh scraping the top of the car or whatever yes, that's one of my uh, favorites yeah which is like such an absurd setup just to get them there where yeah. like the killer has to like tie rope to the car and then loop it around a tree and then like hang the guy from the tree and get her to drive forward a little bit. And it's like a lot of work that goes into recreating it. But then when it comes together, chef's kiss. Just the whole Rube Goldberg machine of hanging that, 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 that dum dum yeah. is so good. And also one of the first moments where you start to realize, um, I love Alicia Witt, but where you start to realize our, t- our main character, Natalie is kind of an asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, s- spoilers, but, um, I she... guess like, I, I don't necessarily think as written, she's like intended to be an asshole, but I think it's just like, uh, a, like a plot hole kind of or I just don't like think it's a plot hole like lack of attention to detail somehow in the like writing or performance that when you're watching it critically you're like wait a minute i'm not even sure if it's neither i think natalie's just kind of an asshole <laughs> she's just kind of an asshole because i think that's what you need to make brenda so entertaining i mean like, maybe so it, I... it's in her hunting of natalie that like after a while you're just kind of like Man, someone must hate you. Because, like, it's it's first when Michelle dies and she denies knowing her, which, like, what reason would she have other than, like, if she felt vested guilt? Like, what right, reason would right. she have to, like, not know her and be, like... Because I, I guarantee she likely did not go to her funeral. Uh, right, yeah, the first character who's uh, decapitated by the killer yeah. in the backseat. She's like, no, never heard of her, despite having been close friends in high school. Yeah, and, like, so immediately goes to that, and the only reason she'd go to that is, like, unless she felt some type of way, like, she actually, like, did something. Because what's the worst that can happen? Like, they coincidentally look up the incident. Why would they have any reason to? Right. And even in her telling of the story where she's like, I thought it was funny at first, but then it got kind of like scary. Like, is she that reliable of a narrator to like not believe that maybe she was kind of antagonizing with Michelle as well in the prank that went wrong. Right. Cause and like, I think how she, do you like... chase a guy on the road for that long, scaring the shit out of him and thinking it's that funny for that long, unless you're an asshole. Yeah. Which is like such an absurd. Uh, so their, their backstory uh, is that they, we're trying to reenact the the headlights urban legend. The where, gang initiation one. Yeah, where you have your headlights off, and if someone flashes their lights to tell you, you then chase them and kill them. And they were like, this will be really funny for just, like, two pals on a Friday night. And then chase a dude down the road until his, like, panic and erratic driving uh, causes him to crash and die. Which is such an absurd, like... You know, as, as far as uh, hidden dark pasts go, that's such a ridiculous one. Like, what was... There's not one where they can be kind of innocent in that. No. You're and willfully like... scaring the shit out of someone in a way that makes them think they're going to die. Yeah, in a super dangerous way where you're chasing someone with your car. And I feel like, you know, the prank is like, oh, yeah, then we made a U-turn and started chasing him. And he started driving really fast because he was scared. That's when you're like, haha, we scared him. But they kept cha- like, when would the prank have ended if he didn't crash the car? They're like, yeah. and we just kept going faster and faster and chasing him. Like, what was the goal? It yeah. seems like the goal was to kill that guy. And then when Joshua Ke- Jackson's character is dead, like, 
she leaves him behind pretty much immediately doesn't even check to see if it's still alive right and this was what i was saying is like maybe more of just like an oversight uh or or kind of uh you know mistake of like lack of attention to detail is that every murder scene or murder that she witnesses or is nearby she very quickly assumes that the person is dead and leaves she doesn't like try to apply any kind of like uh you know even if she doesn't know any sort of basic like oh apply pressure to the wound or like check their pulse she like doesn't even like shake them or be like are you still alive what are you okay is it can i get you to a hospital she sees someone get hurt and is like they're dead bye (laughs) and like pretty consistently towards not like one time no it's every time and like the one that got me the most was Loretta Devine plays a security guard that wants to be Pam Greer. Um, which is which is great. Which is great. I love her and I love that arc. I actually wish I had like a little bit more of that in like a sort of like Dewey and Scream kind of way. Honestly, um, I would watch a version of this where she was the protagonist. Where like the murders <laughs> were happening at the school and she was the main character and just she's trying like, to solve I'm it. I'm Pam Greer. Yeah, exactly. Um, but <laughs> she's shot protecting Natalie and she's still alive definitely still has a pulse and they leave we don't know where they're going when they're like running from the killer and they're like paramedics will be to her soon so they don't even wait with her no they literally call 911 and they're like cool help is on the way and then drive off with where the fuck are they going are they just going home they still need to like talk to the cops they need to like give a report or a statement or like explain how this person got shot or like why there there's this other dead girl there like, maybe keep her company because she got shot in the fucking shoulder or chest i don't remember exactly yeah, where it was i think she got shot in the stomach like trying Protecting to save her. you yeah and then she's like huh let's get out of here which is absurd absurd premise and like yeah pretty consistently through the movie she sees a terrible thing happen and is just like woof better get out of here and, like, just imagine, like, you see someone get hit by a car and you're just like, oh, they're dead. Bye. <laughs> and no, you just leave the, and go home. <laughs> the only person she didn't really do that for was Brenda, ironically. Um, That's true, yeah. But, yeah, like, between the prank and especially, like, her handling of the security guard, Natalie's kind of an asshole. She's kind of an asshole. And the uh, uh, she has this, like, back and forth with Jared Leto, who's this, like, journalist who'll stop at nothing to get the story uh who her best friend brenda has a crush on and uh eventually you find out after many fantastic references to urban legends used in kills uh that the killer is brenda because the guy that died in the car accident uh was brenda's boyfriend and they had even like planned on getting married and they they were engaged i think yeah yeah and like Brenda, uh, you know, uh, was so grief stricken that she she was even like, I tried therapy. Now it's uh, disemboweling you, now bitch. It's murder time. <laughs> now it's we're doing the kidney urban legend one. And she also admits that, like, she could have not done it urban legendy, but it was more fun to do so. Right. She could have just murdered people. And also she could have just murdered the two people who were directly involved. There's never really a good explanation as to why she kills all of the people that she does there's a loose frame job 
Right. She was like potentially gonna blame it on someone else. But even that kind of falls apart because she's like, yeah, because the body of the guy is in the trunk of this other kid. But then I think she was going to kill him, too, or something. It just like it. I felt like there were holes in her plan. But ultimately, it does feel like by the end of the movie, like, you know, revenge is is part of it for sure. She definitely wants to kill Natalie. Uh, but like her mind, her mind is not in a good place and she started killing and I think realized she just really enjoyed killing. I think Brenda would have found a reason. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think there, if, if you want to read too much into it, the fact that like they started dating when they were pretty young and were immediately like, we're soulmates. We're very much in love. We're getting married. Like it's me and you forever could imply like a a little bit of some like manic energy even before he was uh killed in this prank and then she immediately turned to murdering people and just starts murdering everyone she kills a teacher she kills a local radio host that they go to school with she kills some other dude yeah her roommate for some reason played by danielle harris yeah Uh, for both Disney Channel original movie and Halloween franchise fame. Nice. Um, in general, I love Danielle Harris in Black Lipstick. Uh, I always do. Yeah, she's great. But, uh, but also, ha- Natalie is not even like close with her roommate. You can't even make the argument that like, oh, I'm they killing- were friends. Yeah, like I'm killing everyone important to you. Like she didn't even like her roommate. <laughs> she loudly bangs every night while Natalie listens to headphones to yeah. fall asleep. No, literally, like Brenda is just killing because she's just like real into it man she just has a good good time doing it and i i kind of love that i kind of love a killer who like yeah vengeance is part of it but it's also gleeful they're they're a maniac they fucking love murder yeah i want like it, it speaks so much to how much characterization she put into brenda that when you see at the end that brenda survives and is at another college and is like at it again you're like kind of thrilled for her yeah, no, it's true. Like, you want her to have her, like, you know, Jason popping up out of the lake moment. You you want to know that, like, that killer is still out there. And I think that was, like, a great move to make her, like, to almost imply that she is supernatural in the way that, like, you know, a Freddy Krueger, like a, you know, Jason Voorhees is, that she can, you know, be, like, shot and thrown out a window in a, like, a death that is definitely, like, a Halloween reference, uh... And then still, like, get up and run away and, like, continue murdering. She's Michael Myers, but, like, fucking beautiful. Yeah, she's, like... But she's got Freddy personality. It's true. She's got, like, leading lady good looks, the Freddy, uh, like, one-liners and sass uh, with a little bit of that manic energy, the uh, unstoppable uh, hulking nature of Michael Myers. Uh, She's got it all, man. She's the total package. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I love the shit out of Brenda. Um, legitimately, in my I might be a costume for me at some point because we also have a similar hair type. Oh, true. Yeah, um, you should get the parka. But like <laughs> these urban legends are all ones that I or, like. I I wrote about it a little bit for Fango, but like the kinds of things that I love because any story that's been told forever is my favorite thing in the universe. Yeah. Right down to the love roller coaster one because like that's a newer urban legend, but I knew it growing up. Yeah, um, you were telling me. Yeah. Although my version was not that somebody was like being killed outside the studio. It was the one where the lady poured 
honey on herself and it formed like a weird bond with some fiberglass that she was on and it ripped her legs and she screamed. Um, but like, why would they run a photo shoot during <laughs> a, recording a recording of the song? Yeah. Outside a soundproof booth. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I have so much fondness for urban legend. So do I now. I, yeah, before watching it for this episode, uh, again, I had like only the haziest memory of it. When we were watching it, I think the only scene that I fully was like, I remember this clearly. This is the one that stuck with me was the uh, the dog in the microwave. Oh, yeah. Because I think, you know, I was at the kind of uh, shithead age when I first saw it that like a, a dog in a microwave was uproariously funny to me. <laughs> like I was at that like dirtbag, like 12, 13 year old age that I was like, oh, that dog fucking exploded in a microwave. Ha ha ha. Because, you know, you make a point of laughing harder at edgy bullshit when you're that age. Uh, but yeah, that was the moment that I was like, oh, I remember this movie literally none of the rest of it like i fully didn't even remember like who the killer was it was very much like a first time watch for me and uh yeah legitimately like on a first watch as a as a stupid kid was like yeah it's fine you know just like some uh, just like any like mediocre slasher flick watching it now i'm like dude it's fucking great like i loved every every reference to previous horror movies like you know i was eating up the cameos and the little homages and whatnot uh i think it's a super fun gimmick for a slasher villain and brenda rules brenda's amazing yeah i also appreciate that uh it's weird something that i will say uh we took for granted in early 2000s horror movies uh as far as like terror read <laughs> no that's not at all what i was going to say we took for granted um <laughs> no i i was i mean i i suppose we did take tara reed for granted uh no but in early 2000s horror movies uh something that you know i think we like didn't know how good we had it until uh you know maybe 10 years later is that you would get mainstream summer horror movies that were like mid to high budget hollywood like studio releases uh you know with like tara reed and jared leto and whoever that were hard R rated and super violent that you yeah. get like really bloody stuff. Cause I, I was saying that when we watched uh, 13 ghosts for an episode as well, that I was like, fuck man, I forget that 13 ghosts is like pretty brutal. Like there's a lot of blood in this movie. And you know, I think now when you think of like your, uh, your conjurings and your, you know, paranormal activities and your Annabelle's and whatever, like, this wave of supernatural horror a lot of which is pg-13 and you get a lot of like spooky scary ghosts and a lot of like jump scares and moments of like ooh scary demon thing or like someone's eyes get weird and their head gets veiny because they're possessed but you don't get a lot of like decapitations or disembowelments or dogs exploding in microwaves which is why i cannot wait to watch valentine with you yeah i love valentine all right let's watch valentine i'm stoked but yeah early 2000s horror uh is rad and we should love it more uh i love it deeply and i also want to know what you paired to go with urban legend yeah so this is one uh i maintain that it's a good pairing it is still uh it is a strong pairing i will say after i like thought about it a little bit more 
there were some other elements from urban legend that I was like, ah, maybe I should have like leaned into a different direction because something that like stuck with me in urban legend was the like, uh, overt reference to the genre that it lives in, you know, being like full of homage and reference to like slashers that came before it. So I was like, ah, maybe I should have picked like gallants or like if we hadn't done it already, like Kung Fu hustle would have been a really fun one. Uh, if I liked the movie more, Kill Bill would have been a good choice in terms of like, oh, it's like such a clear uh, like product of its inspirations. Uh, however, I didn't pull at that thread at all. And instead, I chose... John Wick. See, I'm thrilled you picked... First of all, I'm thrilled you picked it because we finally have a reason to... It's talk my, about it it's my john pick we finally have a reason to talk about john, john wick, wick for your john pick um i think the ref the revenge thing is dead on the revenge thing because it's also revenge by someone that like is good at what they do and is also kind of admitting that it was like an entry point into something something that they kind of wanted to do and was bigger than them anyway yeah as soon as he officially lets himself like as I think the moment that is really important uh, in terms of the greater scope of the franchise is him saying, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back where yeah. he like finally like shows a lot of emotion on his face and is angry and admits like, yeah, no, I just do this now. I just fucking kill people again. It's what I do. And like that transformation uh, for him back into being a full-time murderer and for Brenda just, you know, for the first time, becoming a full-time murderer i think their character arcs are very similar uh they both feature uh a dead dog yeah tragically uh that is an important plot point and john wick himself is of course something of an urban legend in the world of john wick he's, he's the baba yaga he's referred to as the baba yaga he's he's the one you call to kill the boogeyman and the movie eventually becomes the thing that becomes referential in action movies yeah that's true like later in the franchise i mean you and know, other action movies yeah no you're right i, w I was gonna say like you know the the franchise now uh bringing in like all of these like heavy hitters from other marcos like, aurora marcos aurora scott adkins donnie yen uh yeah and then in three of course we have the inimitable mark Cascos, who we love hopefully someday he will be on this podcast whatever we gotta do mark i'll do it <laughs> it's true um but yeah i'll so pay you i'll we'll do it we haven't paid any guests before <laughs> Macaulay Culkin didn't get paid, but we'll pay Mark Dacascos. I'll 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 pay you in in my bot. In, in I meant like physical labor. <laughs> it's fine. No, I support it. If you, no, you know what I meant. If you get I a meant, chance, like, doing you, stuff in his yard. If you get a chance to hook up with Mark Dacascos, you'd better take that. I chance. assume he's married and happily. I'm I'm sure, but you know, just like if it comes up, I don't know. We don't know their situation. Maybe they're maybe they're in an open marriage. I we're. We're putting I this think conversation you should go in for a parking it. Like, stop it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but Anyways, I, John Wick. <laughs> I actually think it was a great pick. I, I agree. I agree. Um, watching it again helped me find some things that, because chances are if you've listened to this podcast, you've watched John Wick at some point. Yo, if you haven't watched John Wick, stop, stop listening to this stop. podcast and go watch John Wick right now. If you have not watched John Wick, you are living a half-life. And if you're listening to this because I talked about Atomic Blonde on Bechtelcast, especially go watch John Wick um, because he's not credited as a co-director, but he kind of should be uh, David uh, like Leach, 
I can. I've heard Scott Adkins say Leech, so I'm going to say Leech. Uh, All right, Scott Adkins would and, know. You know, did choreo on this as well. So if you liked the choreo on that, and if you haven't watched John Wick, do that. But um, for those that have seen it, which I'm assuming quite a bit, because it's kind of become like the a the big staple, and b as the series continues, uh, feels more and more like it's like fantasy fulfillment for action and martial arts fans. I so it. I didn't realize that this is the direction. This was the direction that John Wick was going to take, and I feel like, uh, in retrospect, you absolutely can clock it yes. uh, by the third movie, uh, because the third movie uh, is this. I mean, you have you know Tiger Chen, Mark Dacascos, you have Yan Ruhian, and uh, the other fellow whose name I can never pronounce, uh, Chechip maybe. Uh, but you have two dudes from you know the raid. Oh, uh, I know what name you mean, and I'm not sure if I can answer yeah, either. Yeah, he's he's the final fight in the raid too. Yeah. So you have Yayan, who's the last fight in raid one, and you know, uh, Chechip maybe. Chechip, uh, Sesip, I don't know. Uh, but you you have two heavy hitters from yeah that the Indonesian action scene. You have Mark Dacascos, the legend. Uh, you know, you you've got Tiger Chen and like the incredible hallway fight. We're talking about John Wick three at this point, but. Uh, I realize now, uh, in retrospect, and also with the casting of uh, Chapter 4 being announced with each new, like, Marcos Aurora, Scott Adkins, uh, Donnie Yen, that they basically were like, hey, what if The Expendables was good? What if The Expendables had been good martial arts movies and good action movies, and, like, that's just what they're doing now? So, uh, thank God for John Wick. Thank God for John Wick, and I really love this movie as a standalone even like not really ranking it like in the franchise um because i think it's also i don't think it's intentional but the way i read it maybe it is who knows um the way i read it is kind of like excellent commentary for what essentially became like the precipice of like american action cinema finally like getting better um, because a lot of the people that were making action movies previous to that were making action movies because they were like, huh, I got this like uh, mid-budget thing, so I'm going to get like this actor and I'm going to like kind of phone it in because I don't really like give a shit about where it came from. And I think this is just like shitty popcorn stuff. Right. It's like a, it, it's a thing that you do because you know it'll sell tickets and make money. Like you know that you don't have to like – get someone who knows how to fight or do stunts you don't have to know how to shoot or edit a fight scene just as long as like there's some explosions a shootout liam neeson growls some shit you yeah. know you're gonna make your money back and it's studios are gonna be soulless happy. and i don't really care why it worked before and was like so financially lucrative but the reason it was financially lucrative before was because it came from a place of like passion and like understanding the fun- fundamentals of what makes a good martial arts movie uh, and like having a respect and a reverence for it. And there's two characters uh, that provide a sort of foil for those things that kind of derail everything in the movie that feel like that, that feels like, uh, you know, that era of, of filmmaking. And it's um, Vigo's son, uh, Yosef, right. and Miss Perkins. And and Yosef is the uh, shithead, privileged, uh, rich son of the Russian mobster 
who is like so you know connected and untouchable because his dad is this like super dangerous criminal lord uh of the underworld and he doesn't that, care the methods for his dad to get there or how no, he got no. there he's grown up uh so insulated from any difficulty or hardship and just knowing that he is essentially like criminal royalty uh that yeah he does whatever he wants with total impunity and is a total dirtbag so he's the one who of course uh sets the events of the films in motion by uh deciding that he wants john wick's car so he fucking goes to his house in the middle of the night attack like ambushes him with a baseball bat knocks him out and kills his dog and then steals his car his dog that his dead wife gave him yeah uh, which, by the way, double whammy for me because I have both owned a beagle and my most cherished, like, childhood pet was named Daisy. Uh, she 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 was a great little little pit bull mix. Uh, mm. And uh, so the second that happened, I was just like, "Fuck, I'll pick up a gun too." Uh, right. No, <laughs> let's and I do mean, this. I I do kind of love that because like the, I don't know why this is so specifically effective i guess because it doesn't feel to me like it's in the realm of reality that like anyone's ever going to murder my wife for some reason like obviously uh you know the terrible things happen all the time and of course it exists as a possibility and of course i uh, am a deeply anxious person so i'm always like slightly worried that, yourself like, up, honey. but i'm always <laughs> slightly worried that either of us will be murdered for whatever reason because that's just living with uh, general anxiety but for some reason, like, I don't watch a movie where someone's wife is murdered and I'm like, oh, my God, if that was my wife, blah, blah, blah. It's because I don't like, wear cardigans on the beach. Yeah, it's because you don't wear cardigans on the beach. But Because like, then I'm fucking dead. For, yeah, 100%. If you wear a cardigan on the beach and, like, take a video uh, in, like, a soft focus. Stop. Yeah. If, <laughs> Stop. If you do that, no, it's 100%. That's the only memory I'm going to have of you. Uh, but there's something about, like, killing the pet that feels so it's so much more immediately visceral and is so much like oh my god if someone hurt one of our cats i would absolutely like destroy everything they loved <laughs> like you're so quickly like no of course like that person dies <laughs> there's there's something about it that i think is a really universal like it gives you this like knee-jerk like revenge thirst that you don't always get when it's because like a dog is only dies. love yeah, because, exactly. Because, like, I don't know his wife. I don't know that character. Maybe she sucked. Maybe she had negative qualities. I don't I'm sure Mrs. Wick was great. I'm sure she was great. I assume that she was an absolute angel. But it's like, I, I don't know her, so I'm not invested in her. I love every dog. Every dog is a good boy. Even when they're a jerk, they're good boys. Yeah. It's like, I already know that I love that dog because he's a dog and I love him. Exactly that. And, like... Anyways, sorry. Oh, no. Yosef and Perkins. Yes. Uh, Yosef and Perkins are, like, two res remarkable responses for that. Because Yosef, like, crosses that line with John Wick. And everyone that, like, actually knows the, th the world that he's in, uh, like, John Leguizamo gets away with, with punching him. Like, yeah. no one makes him pay a penalty for that because they're like, no, no, that's the right thing to do when you find out that you are someone that, like, just brought john wick onto our fucking radar you idiot yeah. and his dad has like the same response and he like doesn't hold that like right level of like fear or reverence up until the moment that he's fucking dead yeah um, no literally until there's a gun in his face and he's totally helpless does he realize that like he is mortal he is vulnerable and like maybe he should have had respect for the things that came before him and like he causes 
everyone's death around him. It is entirely his fault. Everyone knows. And like a lot of people are almost willing to like step away from this where they're like, all right, John, the only reason you're back is if someone fucked up. So, uh, and like, it's the same thing with Miss Perkins where like all of these other killers have codes of conduct amongst each other because that's how they operate. That's how they can like operate and like do their job and have like, some sense of like honor amongst thieves between them yeah and it's presumed that like john and these other killers came up from a time before there was the continental before there were these rules of like we don't do shit on these grounds uh and obviously the continental sprung up because there's a need for it right uh there's a need for some like amount of conduct in that industry uh or else it would just implode in on itself which it is funny, like, obviously, you know, John Wick takes place in a universe uh, of, like, deep fantasy because by yeah. the time we get to the second movie, you learn that, like, one in every five American citizens is, in fact, an assassin. Like, yeah. by the time you get to John Wick 2 and they're like, oh, there's a bounty on John Wick's head, there are, like, four world-class assassins on every city block in New York, which, yeah. like, I don't think is accurate. I don't think that's true to life. Uh, so it's, like, you know, very much a world of fantasy uh in the third movie there's that whole bizarre detour where he like has to go out to the desert and meet like the you know i forget what they're called but there's some cryptic desert dwelling yeah, it, leader it, the man above the high table it for lives some reason. in a world of fantasy but it's like fantasy with its own set of just like rules and reverence well what what i was gonna say is like yeah it it's you know very clearly like this uh fantasy world but at the same time you can justify certain conceits because yeah, man, if you're someone who is murdering people as, like, part of your job, you are going to make a lot of enemies, and you're going to spend a lot of your life looking over your shoulder, and, like, you would, at a certain point, want to be able to feel comfortable sometimes, like, even if your life is, like, you know, very much, like, an off-the-grid, like, underworld life of, like, crime and violence, whatever, it's very much, like, against the grain and like an antisocial sort of thing you still would like yearn for certain like creature comforts and like you wouldn't want to constantly be like isolated and looking over your shoulder and worried that like anyone could be coming to get revenge at any time so like it makes sense that eventually there'd be a place that you're like guys can we all just agree to be cool when we're here where it's like like, literally the second we hit the sidewalk it's fine yeah which is yeah a fun uh kind of conceit in the second one too. and clearly they like pay in they pay in yeah, for this yeah and it's hilarious to me that miss perkins thought that her biggest penalty would be financial that in a that nowhere in her dumb fucking brain uh in which everybody else is like that's actually like a laughable amount of money to take for what right. this is three million dollars um, to kill john wick absolutely not yeah. especially and yeah to break the rules of the continental no literally everyone's just <laughs> like you know this is stupid right and she's like why hasn't anybody done it before like she literally responds to it like oh why hasn't anybody figured out how to print money like <laughs> she <laughs> right like she, she's like, the first person who ever had an idea <laughs> yeah because yeah. everyone around her is like bitch no yeah, like what are you thinking even john's like i'm trying to keep you from fucking like dying like you don't know that you like just signed your death warrant it's not even just me it is it is wild by the way that john 
seems to have some affection for her. Like they that he knows she's naive. Right. And like it, it it's implied that they maybe like worked together. They definitely they obviously know each other, you know, and yeah. it's like Perkins, John, you know, and they have their little like he recognizes her. So we, we don't know what their history is necessarily, but absurd that John Wick let her live after she actively tried to murder him in his hotel room at the Continental. And then when she escapes that situation, she's like, oh, I'm going to get him. Like, the fact that John Wick let you live, like, you got to, at that point, you're gone, dude. Just skip town, pick up a new name, like, never try again. But the fact that she's still like, oh, I'm going to get him next time is absurd. And from a business standpoint, like, girl, stay freelance. You immediately, like, rat him out and, like, join that dude's team, even though it's actively being slaughtered by the second it's like not holding up and the circle of protection is getting smaller and you're like yeah i'm gonna hitch my cart to that wagon you have a good thing going with freelance you're also like a dumbass when it comes to business perkins Uh, Perkins is a damn fool she's a damn fool which makes her being executed by ian mcshane so satisfying after she like takes out two dudes that arguably were like we're trying to throw you one because you're just like a you're you're new here, I guess. Uh, but like the two of them are direct foils to their counterparts of like, no, I've been in this and I know like I know why these things are set here for the first place. And it really does feel that way for me action wise, because like John Wick takes so much from like John Woo movies when it comes to like how that like gunplay goes yeah, yeah. and like brings back so much of like the martial arts shit that was so desperately needed in the U S and like returns to form, but puts it under this like new shiny veneer where like the story and the performances are compelling enough that it feels like Yosef and Ms. Perkins executing the two of them is basically like, and that era of action is over. <laughs> I've, I've never read it like that, but I really, I really love that read. And I think that that's uh, totally, uh, like I'm gonna choose to believe that that is deliberate because it's uh, directed and choreographed by you know two former stuntmen and like dudes who have been on the other side of that who like know what it takes to create a good fight scene. You know they're they're people that Keanu met uh, when he was working on the Matrix. You know they were doing uh, stunt and choreo stuff there, and yeah he initially Keanu wanted to bring them on just for like the action directing and then it just became like you know their their project yeah and yeah no I I do I I kind of love that read because the entire film is such a fucking statement like I I'm almost like frustrated because uh I I don't want this to be like a four-hour episode but I could absolutely talk so much longer about John Wick. Uh, so I want to just like try to kind of like run through some shit. Uh, the Maestro. <laughs> no, just the uh, like the script itself. I love as uh, like an action kind of uh, revenge story because it does such an efficient and tight job at establishing John Wick and his character in a way that like a lot of stuff since has tried to imitate and nothing has done as effectively. Like, Nobody tries to do it. Uh, a lot of other films try to do the, you know, like, oh, that's who this guy is. John Wick does it with, like, 
just a couple of small beats that speak so much as to who he is. One of them is John Leguizamo punching the kid. And when he, you know, gets a call from the kid's dad, who's this untouchable, you know, mob boss and like, oh yeah, you'd never hurt his family. And he's like, I understand that you struck my son. He's like, yes, sir. He stole John Wick's car. And he's like, oh, and hangs up the phone and then punches the kid himself. And like, Every time you get one of those beats of somebody being like, wait, John Wick? Are you John fucking Wick? Are you kidding me? The bouncer who's like, yeah, gun to his head. And and John's like, hey, man, I see that you lost some weight. And he's like, you uh, might want to take the night off. And the dude's just so grateful. Like, thank you for not killing me. I'm absolutely not going to fight you. Like the number of people who are like, of course, I'm not going to fight John Wick, you fucking idiot. Like. I love that because how many times do you have like a Rambo type like this clearly like untouchable, you know, or like Arnold Schwarzenegger commando John Matrix type motherfucker that people will watch kill 50 guys like 50 of their friends and coworkers and like other henchmen and mercenaries and then they run up like I'm going to be the one who beats him. And I love that John Wick establishes like a classification of bad guy that's like. I'm clearly not going to throw down with John Wick, dude. That's absurd. Uh, And it's like so effective at telling you like it builds up the legend of the character within one movie by, by 30 minutes, 15 minutes. Yeah. By, by the first act of the film, you already have a sense of like this larger than life action hero. Like he's already a franchise star way before the sequel is announced. And by the time you get to the first action scene, you have it hyped up in your head that you're like, this dude is impossibly deadly. This man is like so powerful and terrifying. He is such a force. He's, he must be the deadliest man alive in this universe. Like what is it going to look like when he starts doing violence? And then it's fucking perfect because the choreography of this franchise not only is like beautiful and perfect for the character and has a thoughtfulness that you only get when it's like fighters choreographing, choreographing and directing it. Uh, Because every, every character in the franchise basically fights in a way that is like telling of who they are and where they come from. The way they are choreographed is part of the narrative and part of their character and part of the world building. Uh, But it is also choreography that in 2014, when this came out, we were not seeing and it's w- we were seeing it, in other countries a little yeah but even then like w- and not this, at that budget no but like this this style because it's like up to that point uh you know like mixed martial arts had been uh you know obviously getting more and more popular and like you know at that point like the ufc was a big deal and it was like yeah people like could name ufc fighters and you know people like you know dudes like chuck liddell had been celebrities uh, and and the the average I guess like consumer of media who is not necessarily like a fan of martial arts movies or like you know really into martial arts or like fighting themselves who you know doesn't necessarily like watch a lot of fights is still going to be like getting more familiar with like Brazilian jiu-jitsu and like grappling and understanding that like fighting on the ground uh, is is fighting because you know there's this whole, previous generation of people who hadn't really been exposed to like grappling like judo and wrestling and brazilian jiu-jitsu 
So, you know, in like early UFC fights, you'd have, you know, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu struggle going on on the ground and you'd have kind of like less knowledgeable audiences rolling their eyes and being like, why are they just laying down? They're laying down and hugging each other. This is boring. And like, you know, by the time we hit 2014, the, I guess, uh, to use the term again, more like casual audience is now getting a little more familiar with with some of this stuff and, you know, now knows what, like, a rear naked choke or an arm bar looks like. Uh, and there were movies that had, like, mixed martial arts choreography, but they tended to be mixed martial arts movies. It would be a movie like Fighting or uh, Warrior with yeah. uh, Tom Holland. Uh, Tom Holland? No, Tom... Hardy. Hardy. There we go. Thank you. Holland is the... Uh, he's the little one. He's the little one. <laughs> there's, the little, there's the little strong one and there's the big strong one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you, know, you would see some of this choreography popping up. Uh, but this incorporated judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and striking that is very like small, tight, practical strikes. It's like a lot of like low kicks and throat punches. Uh, but basically the kinds of things that you would learn if your goal was to as quickly and efficiently as possible control a person and like subdue them like put them on the ground put a gun to their head pull the trigger like you want it clean you don't want it you don't want to stand there and have a fist fight you don't want to like stand at arm's reach and throw punches back and forth until one of you goes down your goal is to grab them and kill them as quickly as possible and like there was such a thoughtfulness to that choreography. They do an incredible job still, you know, years later and looking back at it of making him look like he is doing like the best possible move at every point in time, like whatever the smartest, most efficient, like intelligent killer way to handle every enemy is. That's what John Wick is doing. And even if like in a given scenario, something is being done because it's stylish or it just like looks cool on camera and might not necessarily be the best thing. Like they sell it in a way that you're like, yeah, of course, John Wick is untouchable. That's how an expert killer would handle this situation. And then it's also visually fucking incredible. The gunplay being like visually interesting so that it's not two characters standing back and shooting at each other, but like it's punctuated by like force. Yeah. Like, each gunshot feels significant and visceral. And uh, I think it was uh, Scott Adkins in the recent uh, Corridor Crew uh, Stunt Stunt and React. React. Yeah, which, great series. Uh, We uh, tangentially, uh, I consider them tangential friends of the podcast in that they don't know who we are, but our good friend Eric Lim uh, previously made short films with those guys. So I, like, love them as uh, distant action brothers. Uh, but Scott Adkins on that series, uh, had said that like the gunshots in John Wick feel like punches. They're choreographed like a strike. And, uh, it's completely true. They're like punching the guns into them in a way that is visually interesting, super visceral and doesn't feel like goofy. It doesn't feel it's heavy John handed. Woo. Yeah. And it's, it's not like the, the like equilibrium gun kata where you're like sword fighting <laughs> with guns, which I like also don't hate, but it's just this really incredible like gritty efficient visceral choreography that is all of the best of like i i guess like uh you know quote unquote like practical choreography where it looks like oh yeah this guy actually knows how to fight but also like hong kong martial arts cinema where it's like no i I want a cool fight scene that's visually interesting and like looks like a sweet choreographed dance 
Uh, they somehow pull off both. And in doing so, fully like redefined Western action choreography for the next, you know, decade at least. Like we're still seeing it. You know, you still yeah. have stuff like Gunpowder Milkshake coming mm-hmm. out this week, which does not look great. And I've not heard great things about a lot of the action, but mostly yeah. from like other action fans. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm still going to see it, you know, and uh, hopefully there will be some merit there, but like some redeeming factors. Yeah. Just having seen the trailer, it's like, oh yeah, you're doing a John Wick. That's what this is now. You're doing a John Wick, but you're doing a John Wick without doing the John Wick thing, which is like pushing the more fight proficient actors forward right and that's the big difference is that when you have keanu you have a dude who uh is is beautiful charismatic can act but also really into martial arts like it's like using a charlie's yeah and like in the in the first in the first john wick i remember seeing it in theaters uh i think i saw it in theaters five times uh but the the first time i saw it was like with a group of friends who also fought because, you know, at the time I was uh, kickboxing and training a little bit of like MMA, but I had a friend who uh, was like really into judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and had been doing it for years. And that was like his only discipline. He's very, very good at it. And he was like, fuck, man, Keanu's pretty good at judo. Like he watched it and he was like, his judo looks really tight. Like all of his judo, I have no critique of it. He's like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu a little bit sloppy in places because it's harder to learn and harder to make it look like you're like a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because like you have to just actually do it for years and years and he's like but he's probably like a blue belt you know like he's he's not a a slouch and I you know was not qualified to judge myself but hearing someone whose opinion I valued much higher just be like yeah Keanu's actually really good at that yeah uh and and it thanks master of tai chi yeah right and and matrix and tiger chen and all of these people that molded him into just a fighter uh but yeah the choreography is insane i love it uh i also really appreciate that they canonically made his uh initial training be sambo uh in the in the third film you go back to like where he's trained and i loved it because uh as a as another small tangent when the first john wick came out i had a friend who was like obsessed with it and was like hey i know you're into fighting i want to learn to fight like john wick what would you recommend and i was like well he's doing kind of a combination of judo and brazilian jiu-jitsu and like a little bit of striking i was like if you were going to take one thing and try to fight like him it would be sambo and so when the first movie came out i like pushed a friend into learning sambo because i was like i think that's what john wick does and I was stoked that years later, uh, I was proven correct. Hell yeah. <laughs> Called it. Called 2014, it. baby. Um, anyway, John Wick is perfect. What the hell do we call this double feature? Uh, oh, man. What do we call this double feature? Uh, it's Urban Legends, Dogs Die. Old Dogs, New Dogs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, something, something, Blue Dogs. <laughs> no. Uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven? Oh. Yeah, because they do. They're all good boys. <laughs> I mean, that's if we have to put one strike against Brenda from Urban Legend, it's that she killed a dog. Damn. Yeah. Uh, uh, dog gone? <laughs> the dog on double feature. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. Dog on double feature is pretty good. And then uh, snack pairing. Ooh. Uh. We have the jokes dog, about the spider uh, egg no. and the bubble gum in the first one. Oh, wait. Pop Rocks and, and Soda is a great... Because it's explosive. Because it's explosive. Uh, 
Pop Rocks and Soda. Do we need like an extra thing for John Wick? Do we need like a... Is oh. there anything that... What? Uh, he has like a specific brand of bourbon, I think, that John Wick drinks. Because uh, I had a friend who was like, I only drink John Wick bourbon. Uh, there's like the brand that he has in Let the movie that up. has like a specific bottle. But it would be a, a shot of that and then you chase it with Pop Rocks and Coke. <laughs> pop rock and coke chaser actually sounds kind of fun and i'm gonna start doing that because i'm a grown-up uh john wick bourbon oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's blanton's got the horse on it it's oh i got a blanton story that doesn't make me sound like a good person but to be fair i was like five i mean no one's a good person when they're five my dad had a bottle of blanton's and i poured it out because i wanted the horsey but i didn't want to waste it <laughs> why didn't you just take the horse and looking at this, I now realize it was like a $200 bottle of whiskey Oof. I just dumped out. Oh. You had so just taken the cap off and like how about left the liquid in there. Blanton's and Coke with a Pop Rock rimmed, gla- rimmed glass. Oh, that's nice, actually. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's a perfect, perfect pairing. Uh, also, real quick, uh, I, occasionally I hear people, uh, you know, debating the ranking of the John Wick trilogy so far. Uh Three, one, two. Is mine my two. Nice. That's my personal ranking. I would absolutely uh, stand uh, a one, three, two ranking. I get that. If, if two is above one or three, uh, I do not agree with you. If two is your favorite John Wick movie, we have to have a discussion. And it'll be like a friendly and lighthearted discussion. But like I, I don't agree with you. Here's where all. I can understand one, three, two. Um, because I love three. But three is when you start to get other fighters that are so good, you see them hold back a little bit with Keanu. Okay, see, I don't even necessarily agree with this. I've well, We may have to save this for a John Wick 3 episode, but I've heard this argument because obviously Yayan is a beast. And like, if you have Yayan fighting Keanu in real life, that fight's not going to look the way it does in the movie. But I do think that the choreo does uh, some intelligent things that make a strong argument that like, no, this is what this fight would look like with John Wick. Okay. Like they're not holding back. It's we'll save it for the John Wick three right. episode. We'll I have I have debates, <laughs> but I I get where you're coming from. We'll cross that uh, parabellum when we get there. That's uh, fun. Your your turn. Uh, it's my turn for what? Like a pun? I don't have another one. No, I was gonna try uh, and give you to give plugs, and then my brain broke. Oh, okay. Um, some announcements. <laughs> your turn. Um, as we're good always throw. saying. Uh, our socials are kick screen pod and all forms of socials where you can interact with me, Elijah and Sam. But however, yeah. announcement time, uh, Sam has gotten some amazing full time opportunities. So big congratulations yeah, to Sam. Congrats, Sam. Um, but it means she doesn't have time for our pod anymore. So we are getting a new, not necessarily producer in the same capacity as Sam, because, because we're getting, no one can replace Sam. And, we're also like dividing things up into more between you and I now. Um, but we are getting a new social media person. His name is Eric and you're going to love him. Um, and Eric is a big fan of both of these things. Uh, so he's going to be doing some very fun stuff for us shortly as we, uh, move on to that transition. But, uh, since, uh, this week and next week are some of the last times that she will see it. Definitely throw some Sam some love on these socials and let her know. Thank you for being so great and helping us build this over the course of a year. Yeah. Show her love. She deserves a lot of it. No, absolutely. The show would not have made it 
a year. I think we're coming up on 50 episodes, yeah. probably pretty close now. Maybe this is episode 50. Who knows? Uh, but we definitely would not have made it this far uh, without Sam. So, yeah. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So tweet at KickScreamPod and uh, just uh, just uh, thank you, Sam. Yeah. And uh, where can the people find you? You have stuff to plug. Oh, yeah. For uh, two two more Wednesdays, I finally have something to plug. Uh, I am playing in a uh, Twitch stream of the A24 tabletop role-playing game, The Green Knight, uh, every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash whizworldlive. Uh, so tune in. Uh, you know, Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Elijah underscore pizza. Uh, you can watch me uh, play this role-playing game and also, uh, you know, just tweet at me. Hit me up. Talk to me about John Wick. Uh, uh, let me know if you've uh, started training in a martial art because of a movie because that's pretty sweet. I'm sorry. I have important news before oh, we breaking news. get off. Breaking news. So a while back, we found out that Elijah... I'm sorry. This is only for people that seen I Think You Should Leave and Care. Elijah okay. has the same shirt as an I Think You Should Leave sketch in which they're talking about men with... Uh, highly patterned shirts. Anyways, somebody just sent me a screenshot <clears throat> from an I think you should leave uh, group on Facebook, and it's like the biggest one, and they just make memes. Okay. And you have made it to the group. Oh, what? With neither of us <laughs> having posted it there? Neither of us are there. We are just <laughs> organically a meme in the group. <laughs> oh, that's so good. With with the caption, her husband clearly hasn't eaten in like a week because I spent all my money on complicated shirts. You sent that for DM. Uh, also, uh, yeah, watch I Think You Should Leave. We're plugging that show now as well because I own that shirt. <laughs> uh, and as always, we love you. Bye. We love you. Bye. Bye.